Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. Um, another week, another downgrade. Fitch following closely on Moody's heels. Genus Guman, Fitch already had South Africa on junk status. Why does it matter that they've taken us more into junk? Well, junk isn't really just junk. So the further you start moving deeper into junk, the closer you get to being a country that's actually going to default. Um, Fitch taking us two notches down means that the prospect of ever moving back into investment grade is just further out of reach. Uh, to give you a quick scenario here, a country that can establish itself just one notch um, into sub-IG, so at the very top, um, on stable outlooks, and, and that can start to uh, expand and, and grow quite a stronger or improved GDP growth outlook that obviously has the trickle-down effect to other things like fiscal policy. Um, those type of countries can actually become what, what we would term a comeback kid in the emerging market space. They start becoming opportunistic because investors start to ask, well, things are looking like they're going well. Um, potentially, there could be an upgrade position here. And, and, and that's, of course, an investment opportunity. So, of course, they then receive flows and the rest all follows. The problem with moving two notches or three notches deeper into junk is that the amount of political effort that a country actually needs to expend in order to even get one upgrade at that point is something that governments usually don't have appetite for. And as a result, you start getting stuck in junk. There's no prospect of coming out of it. And, and with that, of course, your borrowing costs start to rise. As borrowing costs rise, they start crowding out other types of expenditure the government can do. And hence, you're left with being unable to even spend yourself into a better growth position. So that's why, generally speaking, junk is not just junk. You can become junker, if that makes sense. And it's bad to become junker. Um, you've talked about the sort of markets. Um, have the downgrades made much difference given that our bond market was in pretty terrible shape, as indeed were global markets, were sort of swinging wildly even before the downgrades? Are they likely to impact capital flows as we had long expected? Well, it's difficult to pinpoint at this point with all the volatility going on as to what has driven what in bond yields, in the currency. We know that the Moody's downgrade was largely expected. And I'm not so sure that the negative outlook Moody's left us with um, was as expected. But still, you know, when we start talking about exiting the World Government Bond Index, the WIGB, at the end of April, you know, it's going to be very difficult to draw a graph of the currency, for example, and say, well, that's the exact moment South Africa exited um, the WIGB. But believe me, on the 29th of May, when S&P makes a decision, if that is also a downgrade, that would align S&P with that of Fitch. And then the majority of, a, uh, of agencies have us two to three notches deeper into junk. Now, if you overlay that with potentially a funding crisis, and South Africa is already obviously in its own crisis of sorts um, on the economic space, given the virus, well, you know, pick what you think will happen to capital controls. The last thing I would say and add to that is that between now and the end of April, we obviously also have to see what policy decisions are taken in South Africa regarding the financing risks, the capital outflows that might occur between now and then. We've heard about the IMF, we've heard about the World Bank, we've heard about prescribed assets, and that is going to obviously be a big, big factor in, in what direction the bond yields and currency take over the next quarter, the next 30 days. Rob Rose, 
Uh, Gina, rather intriguingly mentioning capital controls, uh, the prospect that we could have a tightening of, of exchange controls after all these years of liberalizing them. Robbers, how would a tightening of exchange controls, if that were the scenario, how would that be received in financial markets? I think probably about as well as prescribed assets will be received in, in, in the markets. And I think that that's the kind of thing that won't encourage any investment. And I think it's it's completely antithetical to what Silver Ramaphosa has promised in terms of um, creating a more investor-friendly environment. Um, having said that, I do think a number of countries are going to take measures that are to tighten their their policies after this. I think the, the world after, after COVID-19 is going to be entirely different. And I think that a lot of the policy measures Will be different so if you're going to implement that i think now is the time but i just don't think that that fits at all that fits in with wh where we are going um where our pauses administration is going would you be would you be rob rose would you be agreed with with gina about the sort of possible outcomes yeah for sure i mean it's 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 a scary <laughs> it's a scary position we find ourselves in and we don't have you know the flexibility to ladle 10 to 15 percent of our GDP into tackling this crisis. So you've got to look at alternative measures, and we don't have many. We don't have many options, which is why that is one of the options. Gina, you mentioned the IMF and the and the and the World Bank, and I'm I'm going to ask Lucanio. I mean, we've already heard Lucanio the the beginnings of political divides coming out over the IMF and World Bank. Well, particularly the IMF. Uh, is that a bad sign? Um, would you have questions to Gina about how? the whole scenario might play out if we can't access that funding. I mean, it's, a, it's quite a long straight. I mean, like, about, like Gina was talking about what's the impact of, of downgrades. I mean, I think even if you look back to, to, to even before the crisis, like, you know, we, we, we talked about the, the risk premium about South Africa, like compared to say even Brazil, which was junk already. Even in February, people forget our yields before the crisis were about four, about three basis. 300 basis points more than Brazil's, for example. And that can only get worse. And obviously, as you go lower and lower into the junk mode, then you're attracting a different type of investor, which is much more less predictable. So they can pull in and out at any point. You know, so you know, you're not getting institutional investors. So when you have a crisis like that, like, you know, as, as we're seeing at the moment, so you can't really depend on inflows. So the question then, do you access, how do you access the markets? Difficult and expensively. So the outside help like IMF and, and, and this kind of, kind, of, kind of institutions that then come into play. And obviously, as you can see what, from what uh, the alliance partners there were saying, they would not be welcome for obvious reasons. You know, if, if, they, if, if they think like Tito Mboweni's budget was, was austere, so imagine what comes with the IMF kind of like aid. <laughs> like, so, and I mean, it, I mean, it would be quite a terrible thing, I think, politically. I mean, if I mean, you look, look, look at the countries in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe in, uh, in, in Europe during the debt crisis. I mean, all of those countries that, 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 that got downgrades or, or got outside help, Ireland, Spain, Portugal, they also had, that, that also came with change of government because austerity became unbearable. I mean, even a country like France that actually never had any kind of, any, 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 any outside help. Also, like, no, Mr. Sarkozy was gone. So the political implications would be quite dire. So, so I don't know, like, my, my, suppose my question for, to me, for, to Gina, would be, would South Africa, like, if there was such a program, could, 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 could you foresee a government led by Ramaphosa surviving that? Gina, um, if we were to have an IMF program of some variety, which came, as Lucanio says, with conditions, would government survive that politically? 
Well, I guess it depends on what type of conditions they are. But as I think was mentioned earlier, sorry, it was breaking up a bit. Um, we have already seen, and I think it is an important point to bring up, before the virus even hit South Africa, everything we've spoken about was already being spoken about. So in other words, we were already worried that both Fitch and S&P would take us further into, into junk. We were already worried about the rising prospect of, of potentially approaching the IMF. Um, and obviously the virus makes things even more difficult. The question to ask is, and I get asked this a lot, can we use this virus crisis in South Africa as an opportunity as a country to do the things we haven't been done before? In other words, can Sora Ramaphosa potentially say, well, we have no other no other channel other than the IMF. We have to go there because of the extent of the economic impact of this virus. And therefore, it's really not our fault. It's the virus's fault. However, we desperately need this financing and therefore we're going to have to adhere to some of the requirements. Now, the IMF has softened up somewhat over the last month in terms of its requirements. But I think we also have to distinguish between approaching the IMF for a facility a short-term funding facility versus a full-blown IMF program. The facilities are probably something we would see first, and they don't come with those harsh requirements. They're short-term emergency funding um, options, usually for a country with a balance of payment problem, which we don't have at the moment. But of course, these things are always up for negotiation and discussions. And I think our finance minister has also made it very clear that he has the IMF and the World Bank as facility options in his back pocket should he wish to go there. But again, coming back to prescribed assets, I want us to remember how, how powerful that force is within the ANC's governing um, party on being very anti-IMF. I want us to also remember that this is not the first time we've brought up prescribed assets in South Africa. It, it came up obviously a lot in January when Kasati brought it up as a, as a potential plan using the government's employee pension fund in order to try and help finance ESCOM. So there could be very creative ways here, and I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying, could Sorama Pausa potentially take something like prescribed assets, relabel it, rebrand it, um, make it somewhat more sensible in a way, and potentially use that as a blended option together with some type of IMF facilities? Because it's all good and well to choose to go on an IMF program as an emerging market. But believe me, if you cannot adhere to it, and it's very difficult to get that right, you are going to fail. And failure is probably worse than taking it on in the first place. Warren Thompson, you've written a little bit about the new development bank loan um, that, that, that South Africa is uh, in talks to take from the new development bank, which uh, we used to call the BRICS Bank. Warren, just spell out what that loan is, uh, how much we're entitled to, and would it make a difference? Yes, thank you, Hilary. Uh, yes, it's very, very much along the lines of an emergency package, uh, $1 billion, which equates to about 18 billion rand at the moment. Um, very soft terms. Uh, as a shareholder, we have access to this facility. China's already used its $1 billion facility. It drew, drew that down in March specifically for the coronavirus, uh, to counter the coronavirus pandemic. So in the same way, we get to borrow at the same rate that China does. China is still investment grade. Uh, we'll get to borrow at the same rate that China does on the same terms. 
through the development, uh, this new development bank, previously called the BRICS Bank. And uh, there are um, additional options there for us to tap. But uh, as uh, Gina alluded, alluded to, it's very much a short-term facility. Gina, just we've got one minute to go to the break. I just wanted you to wrap for us. Um, what does the economy look like? I mean, we've got one more week of lockdown to go, give or take a couple of, of days. Um, what sort of projection do you have on the economy? How bad is the damage going to be? And what happens if we don't come out of the lockdown after 21 days? Well, I want to stress the how, how uh, and maybe quote our SARC governor in saying forecasting at the moment is nightmarish. But as far as we can best estimate at this point for an economy that is virtually shut down entirely, um, we're looking at a contraction of around 4%, could be up to 4.5% for the year. Um, importantly, that is real GDP growth. Nominal GDP growth is also very important here from a budget perspective. And, and because we're expecting CPI, consumer inflation, below that of the 3% target floor in South Africa, I think it's very easy to get there. Um, as a rough uh, proxy for the deflator, your nominal GDP number is very likely to contract um, quite shallowly, shallow in shallow terms. But what's really really important for this is the revenue shortfall south africa will face and if we're unable to do much on the expenditure side it means we're going to be facing a budget deficit easily between 10 11 percent of gdp um, and so on and so on it does massively depend on how long the lockdown um, extends for in the event they announce an extension next week but even if and I don't think this would be the case even if the lockdown had to end officially next week we would still um, only remove it in a phase out approach in South Africa so in other words start normalizing bulk commodity exports just as an example but getting the economy back that's going to take probably a lot longer. Rob Rose, Stella and Debeni Abrams, the communications Minister, uh, breaking the lockdown and being suspended, is this a good sign? I really hope so. I mean, I think that it's a great move that Ramaphosa finally um, suspended her. And, and there are a lot of ministers who, certainly in the Jacob Zuma administration, you'd never imagine would ever get uh, suspended for doing anything. Um, there are other ministers who perhaps should, should be a lot more worried now, uh, the police minister for one. Um, talking about how, it, you know, we, we shouldn't focus on the fact that it was a policeman who raped somebody during the lockdown. I mean, there's certainly people in Ramaphosa's administration, his cabinet, who should be very worried about this move because I would imagine that they're right in the firing line. If incompetence is now a problem in cabinet, um, then there are a lot of guys who should be very worried. <laughs> it does raise the question of whether we might get some broadband spectrum sometime in the near future, now that uh, the minister's temporarily suspended. <laughs> Lucania, what are our chances of a little bit of broadband spectrum like between now and next week ideally because the system is really creaking with everybody working from home oh hillary that's quite a difficult one because i'm i mean i'm not sure whether or not she was she, she perceived was she, was she perceived to be the one who's a constraint i mean i know when it comes to like the energy i mean it's assumed that Gwede is like the one who puts a stop to all kinds of solutions but i'm not sure what's what the, the stella, stella is, has been on that on that Mm -hmm. on, on, on that kind of spectrum, so to speak, in, term, in, in, in terms of like a being a, a wheel on the, a spanner on the I wheels. Think we're about mm -hmm. to find out. But Warren Thompson, a lot of a lot of 
activity around banks and bank regulation this past week. Um, the Reserve Bank loosening up on the capital requirements for banks to enable them to support customers in distress. And then in the past couple of days, the Reserve Bank saying, well, with that whole set of um, Opening up also comes a recommendation to not pay dividends and not pay executive bonuses. Now, how is that playing out in our banking sector? Are we having banks responding to the crisis with cuts in salaries, cuts in dividends? Uh, you, you would have seen, Hillary, over the last few years, the banks have quietly been, um, certainly with respect to branch employees, either retraining them and uh, withdrawing their footprint at the same time. The guidance advice that the Prudential Authority gave to the banks uh, this last week is now talking about the suspension of dividends, uh, ordinary dividends from earnings as I understand it. Uh, we saw through the global financial crisis, uh, I think the dividends barely got touched. I think uh, only Investec of the big five might have uh, lowered its dividend. But uh, because we were so well insulated, uh, those dividends continue, continue to get paid uh, through the financial crisis. Uh, the reaction at the moment is that of the top of the big four banks, FNB had declared and paid its dividend already for the six months ending December. And then the other three, ABSA, Nedbank and Standard Bank, had all declared a dividend uh, and then received this advice. So uh, uh, ABSA has now uh, taken the matter and said it, it consulted extensively with the Prudential Authority on the matter of the current dividend. Uh, it will go ahead and pay that dividend, but it will obviously give thought to the payment of future dividends. Standard Bank's board is uh, still considering the matter. There are some legal issues around it, uh, I think, which is what primarily drove ABSA to uh, continue paying its dividend. And then we're still waiting to hear from Nedbank on how it uh, intends to plot it going forward. On the executive bonuses story, I mean, obviously, this is more forward-looking. Bonuses are paid uh, for the, the prior year or the prior period. So I would expect that the banks uh, would, would um, come to that decision around bonuses once they've seen the performance of the bank during the year. And uh I'm sure it's going to be a very tough uh, conversation to have because many bank of uh, many bank executives uh, are very used to bonuses. <laughs> but on the other hand, bank profitability is presumably going to be absolutely savage. They're going to have a rise in in bad debts, and 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 they have. Uh, uh, undertaken to uh, support customers in good standing who do get into financial distress in the lockdown. So that surely is going to, uh, Rob Rose, take quite a hit on the profitability, in fact, of the whole financial sector, in fact, of the whole economy, obviously. But, but Rob, I mean, what, what does the financial sector look like in an environment like this? It doesn't look great, obviously. I mean, we'll have a sense, Capitex results are coming out on next Tuesday. We'll have a sense of what's, what's been happening from, from these guys. There's obviously lots of extensions, lots of loan repayment holidays. So it's going to be brutal. Um, but the issue is, is it going to be brutal for one year? Or will it be brutal for five years? Um, but I, and, and in that sense, I do think it's a very worrying step for the Reserve Bank to be looking at, at interfering with, um, with bonuses and salaries. You know, it's, it's a very populist thing and it's a very emotional thing. I think it's I think it's potentially problematic if they intervene. And in terms of dividends, I mean, our banks have been pretty well capitalized, pretty well run. Um, they handled the global financial crisis really well. I think that the Reserve Bank 
uh, needs to be wary in terms of how it intervenes. It does. The, the, the Reserve Bank's moves not on dividends and bonuses, but on the capital and so on, do free up banks' balance sheets to allow them to, Lucanio, use their own money, in fact, yeah, to, to support customers. Will it, can it make a difference? I'm not sure. Like, actually, just, just, just to go back to what Warren was saying, I just had a big question for Warren, if I may. You know, so what I was wondering, yeah. like, I mean, in terms of the bank, I mean, this, this is mostly like a recommendation as well. So it's not, it's, it's not like a, a rule or, so that they, they can either, I mean, they, they can choose whether, whether to go with it or not. I, I was just quite curious in, t in terms of the difference you know, with the, between here and the UK, for example. Like, like in the UK, I think they, they've, they, they've told the Bank of England told them all to stop paying dividends. So they've cancelled dividends, even ones that were declared before. So, not, not, so there's totally no caveat there, whereas here... I mean, every, all the banks have come in and said, like, look, we've already declared, so we're going to pay them. I'm just wondering if, if, if we could have been tougher here on, the, on this one. Or, I mean, I know the argument would be like, oh, but this is a law, but I'm pretty sure... That, but is there a contractual issue? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm interested to know, is there a contractual, a yeah. binding contract mm. between you and your shareholder mm. when you've declared yeah. the dividend? Mm. Warren? Uh, we're getting more clarity from that on the JSC, but uh, I guess the historical precedent is important. Uh, as I said, the banks didn't suspend dividends uh, during the global financial crisis in South Africa. Obviously, in the UK, they were they were borrowing money extensively from the central bank to keep themselves afloat because they had that big exposure to the uh, mortgage bond uh, market. The other thing is that by um, declaring a dividend uh, which relates to past performance, um, if you're telling them to suspend that, that is uh, kind of contractual in nature on the economy at the moment as well. So. Uh, I guess the boards have to weigh up uh, the legal obligation uh, as well as the fact that the dividend, you know, many, many people, investment managers and the, and the public through their retirement savings rely on these dividends as well for income. And of course, uh, nobody's, given, nobody's given a bank a bailout yet. I mean, whatever the banks do to support customers is off their own balance sheets. But, but Rob Rose, we had Woolworths executives um, uh, taking a pay cut to keep workers on the payroll. Have we seen any indication that other companies might follow that example? Um, certainly EOH has made, a, has, has made an announcement about short time, and I think a lot of companies are doing that now. The ones who, who are still operating larger companies, a lot of them are taking short time, forced, forced leave, um, and I certainly think it will be a trend that, that we'll see in the front pages from the big companies too executives definitely taking cuts and i think that's that's what's happening globally and i think we can't we can't get away from that it's it often it's often more of an indication of sentiment and the fact that your your executives are willing to sacrifice more than anything else um but i think it's definitely going to presage some kind of a some kind of a trend yeah i would have thought the reputational issues are quite 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 important the reputational significance of mm -hmm. doing such a thing but let me stay with you rob rose because your financial mail cover this week um about Johan rupert um Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, we spoke to Johan Rupert um, last week, uh, and it was, I suppose, you know, he has been in the news because of that, that donation that he made to small business. And it was more discussion about what the future of finance looks like. I mean, this is a family that has been around since, you know, I think Fulbrunt, which was, you know, essentially the precursor to Remgro, began in 1940. Anton Rupert started that. And it's about, Johan has been around, you know, since the 70s, really. Um, and what does he, how does he view this crisis in terms of all we've seen since then? Um, and he says it's something like he's never seen. And I think his view is that he, we dramatically underestimate the impact this is going to have on, on jobs and on our society. And we spoke to quite a few other people about that. And the view was very similar that it's not, it's not, it's not a pause. It's not sort of a 
six-month thing. It's sort of a two, three, four-year thing. Um, and it's going to have dramatic, a dramatic impact on, on how capital is allocated at companies, how people manage the investments, and I suppose the companies that won't survive and will survive in the next couple of years. Warren Thompson, um, update us actually on, on uh, you've been writing about the Rupert Fund that uh, has already reached, reached and in fact breached capacity. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Um, has the fund sort of yeah. proved to be inadequate? A billion rand didn't really go very far, did it? Didn't, didn't touch sides, Hillary. Uh, the Oppenheimer, so, so the Ruperts, uh, the one billion rand was being administered through business partners. They received over 10,000 applications in two days, the first two days that they started receiving applications. And the total loan amount applied for, obviously assuming that all the candidates, all the companies applying um, really need, need the funds, need relief funds, uh, totaled almost 3 billion rand. So it's quite staggering um, how quickly uh, that was, that's already been catered for. So they've shut applications there. The Oppenheimers got going, they're working through the big four banks and uh, they had inside of two days uh, already allocated uh, 250 million rand to uh, relief efforts. So if you kind of look at the run rate, uh, they will be closing their fund um, early next week uh, because the also over 10,000 applications in the space of two and a half days or, or whatever, um, certainly indicative of the pressure that our SMEs are facing. Yeah, and uh, the, the, yeah, the need is going to be huge. And I'm going to take a little poll as we conclude the show on uh, whether South Africa is in fact going to come out of lockdown uh, next Thursday. Lucanio, what is your vote? My vote, probably not completely. I think like, like Gina was suggesting, maybe some kind of phased. And, and, and if we are going to go on a proper lockdown, you'd hope we'll get a few days to at least stock up on our wine from all of us. Have haircuts, <laughs> yes. Rob Rose, I'll give you the last word here. Will we come out of lockdown? Um, I, think it, I think it's going to be extended for maybe another two weeks, uh, three weeks. And I think there'll be, like Lukanya said, a short break so people can, especially the journalists, stock up on their alcohol so they can survive the rest of it. Well, good luck with that. Um, that's all we have time for now. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you next week.